So around 25 of us just returned from the Bible Chapel, just returned from uh, Paul's travels trip in Greece and Turkey, and we had an amazing time. We would love for you to go with, with us on our next trip, which will be to Israel in 2016. We started uh, in Athens and saw the Parthenon and saw Mars Hill where Paul in Acts 17 spoke to the Epicurean and, and Stoic philosophers about that unknown God that uh, they had a statue toward. And he walked around the city and looked at the culture. And by the way, that's the, what we based the movie series on, looking to find a connection with culture so we can share the message of Jesus Christ. We visited uh, Corinth and Berea and Thessalonica, Philippi and Ephesus, and then a little cave on the Isle of Patmos uh, where it is said that God spoke to John in a vision and he wrote uh, the Revelation. When, when, I, when I say we visited these biblical cities, I should say we visited the remnants uh, some exist today as modern cities, but the, the, but the biblical sites are in, in ruins. In fact, the most extensive of the excavation in Ephesus has uncovered only a tenth of what that city looked like uh, when it was thriving in its day. And the great finds like the library in Ephesus is really only just the outward parts of a shell that was enclosed in this beautiful room with with brilliant paint. You can only imagine what it would have looked like. At one time, these were thriving places, and then something happened. Uh, Sometimes it was plague, they think, in Ephesus that drove a lot of people uh, out of town. Sometimes it was destruction of an earthquake, But, but most of the time, The demise of the city was caused by war. When you look at some of these cities, it's amazing. Every city has what's called an acropolis or a high city where it was fortified. And and it looks like there's no way anyone could ever penetrate the walls. But they did. The Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Ottoman Empire, throughout the history of civilization and continuing today, Conflict for power, for money, for resources, for land. Destroy cities and the people who live in them. But the conflict is not just for countries, is it? Battles rage in homes. Maybe some homes here today. Intense struggles between husbands and wives, threatening the most intimate, and most important community, that of the family. Siblings get irritated about one thing or another and quit talking with each other. And when they do come together at the parents' birthday or anniversary or funeral, sometimes the tension is so thick you can feel it in the room. Good friends end relationships over something that didn't go the way they wanted it to go. And people who shared vacations together now refuse to share a civil conversation. Businesses split. Organizations split. And there's a long history of church splits because people just couldn't get along. But the conflict isn't just out there, is it? The conflict always starts right here. You don't have to leave yourself to understand war. 
in our own heart, the battle rages. A battle for obedience or disobedience. A battle to do it God's way or our way. A battle that churns with envy and jealousy and strife, waves of anxiety smashing against our soul with fear and dread. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to this internal battle when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, and what? Fears within. At the end of the day, every one of us desire this, this thing called peace, calm, rest, tranquility, serenity, stillness, quietness in our heart. Don't you long for that? Peace. Today, I want to show you from Scripture how we can have that very thing we long for. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus established the guidelines of Christian living. Much of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, deal with conduct. But before Jesus ever got to what we do, He said, here's what you need to be. Because He knew that character always produces conduct. Conduct always flows from character. Who you are, like it or not, comes out in what you do. The intro to the Sermon on the Mount we call the Beatitudes. That's the Latin word for blessing. That is the first word of every truth in this introduction. And isn't it amazing that Jesus says that He wants us, the best English translation of the word is happy, He wants us to be happy. He wants us to live a life of happiness. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have contentment. He he wants us to know this rest, this peace, this tranquility that we can have when we do it His way. Now, He also knows that our term for happiness takes us to other stuff. We think a new car or a new house or a new relationship or a different relationship, we think those types of things, those external things, We think that will give us happiness. And Jesus says, come on. It's not all this stuff out here. It's this thing right here. And he talks about true happiness, contentment, satisfaction. Starts right here in our heart. And so we've worked through uh, this introduction. Blessed are the poor in spirit, spiritual beggars. Blessed are those who mourn, realize their sin. Blessed are those who are meek, the humble, they lay down their pride. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They long for God. They long for more intimate relationship with God. They long to be with God. Blessed are the merciful. They receive mercy. They want to show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, an undivided heart mind, emotion, and will for Jesus Christ. That brings us to chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the what? Peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Or we could say it better this way, blessed are those who make peace, for they will be called children of God. Now remember, throughout the Beatitudes, we've said 
that our character is what produces our conduct. And so as we think about this aspect of peace, we first have to say, how do we ask, how do we have this peace within us? Because if we don't have peace within us, there's no way we can share it with others. You cannot share what you don't have. It's pretty basic, right? You cannot, you cannot give away what you don't have in the first place. So how can we have this peace within us so that we can spread it to those in our life? Three things about being a peacemaker. The first one is this. The peacemaker is at peace with God. That's where it has to start. Good luck in being a peacemaker if you don't have peace with God. Peace with God is the starting point. That's where the life begins. We are by nature anxious. We are by nature afraid. We are by nature selfish. Just look at a little baby. He always wants its own way. And we're not far from that. We just do it in adult ways. That's our inclination. That's our sinful nature. We can't get away from that. We need something supernatural to happen in our life. And that's where God comes in because when God shows up, the supernatural always occurs. And so a person who has peace with God says, I am a spiritual beggar. There is nothing I can do to have a relationship with God. I am helpless, and I am hopeless. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I mourn my sin. I mourn all of my sin. My sin is an affront against God. I will humble myself before God. I will put down my selfish interest. I want to be changed by God. I long to be changed by Him. And when we do that, when we trust in Christ as the only way to have a relationship with the living God, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, then He saves us. He comes in and He gives us what we've always wanted. Do you have peace with God? We started uh, this Jesus starts this introduction by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we said, uh, the poor in spirit is like a spiritual beggar, right? And when we get the picture of a spiritual beggar in our mind, a lot of times we have this passive picture because most of the time a beggar in, 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 our, in our mind is a person just sitting there helplessly uh, wanting us to throw a, a change in, into the, in, into the uh, garment in front of them or walking around with a cup, right? Passive. But a spiritual beggar is not passive. A spiritual beggar, the Bible says, is an enemy with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Paul says it this way in Colossians. Once you were alienated from God. Once you were alienated from God. You were a spiritual beggar, but you were away from God. You had no interest in Him. You didn't want any part of Him. You were alienated from Him, and you were enemies with God. That's who you were. Don't think you've always been a good person. Don't tell me you've always known Jesus Christ. You have not always known Jesus Christ. You were born an enemy with a natural sin inside you called total depravity. And then Paul elaborates on this in Titus. That's who we were. That's how we were enemies. And here's what it looked like. We were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived and we were enslaved. We thought we were free. We thought we were doing everything that we wanted to do. And we were, but we were enslaved to sin, leading us in a path away from God. 
we were going after all kinds of passions and all kinds of pleasures. We lived in malice. We lived in envy, being hated and hating one another. We were an enemy with God. But, don't you love that word? In contrast to that, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done. We, didn't have anything. we couldn't do anything. We're a spiritual beggar. But because of His mercy. Because Jesus came down and He opened our eyes. Like Lydia in Philippians, He opened her heart to understand and accept the message. And there was a time when God did that for you. Do you remember that time? Do you remember the time? You don't need to know the date or the particular hour. But do you remember the time when God interrupted your life? And he said, you are mine. And he opened your heart. And you thought, why did it take me so long to get this? It was because God at that point opened your heart to finally and fully understand and believe, and your life was changed supernaturally. Has that happened in your life? Romans 5 says this, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification, our being declared not guilty. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Say it with me. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, because of Jesus, the peacemaker, we can have peace with God. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. We can have peace with the living God through Jesus Christ. Do you have that? Do you know that? Do you own that? Because of God's work in your life. Now, we've said in earlier sermons that there is this thing in the Christian life called our position, right? Never changes. When you have peace with God, you are a child of God and will forever be. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who make peace with God first. They will be called children of God. You're a child of God. That's your position. That never changes. And in our life, we have this thing called practice. That's the day-to-day working out of our life. That's the choosing to read God's Word or not read God's Word. That's the, that's, that's the choosing to obey Him or not to obey Him. That's moment by moment. That's day by day. My position in Christ deals with the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is now gone. I'm a child of God. My practice deals with my propensity to sin. I have weak areas in my life that dog me, and you do too. And I don't know exactly why I have this area of weakness, and you have your area of weakness, and we can sit around and talk about it all day, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We got it, and we got to do something with it. And so I have this battle regarding my propensity to sin. My position in Christ is settled in eternity, for eternity. My, my practice in Christ is moment by moment. My, my position is a one-time-for-all-time cleansing. My, my practice is a continual acknowledgement of, of my spiritual condition. My, my position in Christ declares the war is won. I'm a child of God. When I die, I'm going to see Him face-to-face in heaven. 
but my practice is to engage in the battle and grow in him. And we call this, remember, grace ability. I can't do it on my own. I can only do it in the grace by which I stand, and I have to partner with God to get it done. I can choose, again, to obey or disobey, to do what he asked me to do or not do what he asked me to do. He gives me the grace to always choose obedience, but sometimes I can lay that down and just do my own thing. I'm still a child of God. My position doesn't change, but in my practice, I got to keep working at it, and so it is with peace. So I have peace with God positionally. How can I keep peace with God? That never changes, right? You got that? If you're a believer. How can I live a life that keeps that rest with God and rest with others? Let's start with the, let's just think of God and others, right? So the first word, I'm going to give you three words here. The pursuit of peace. Here's my second point. I about forgot to give you my second point. And I know some of you would be very upset by that. And you want to upset no one. Point number two, the peacemaker is involved in the personal pursuit of peace. Three things, personal pursuit of peace. The first word is resolve. I have to want it. I have to want to continue to grow in peace with God. I have to want to continue to grow in peace with others. I was praying with someone last night and and sometimes and we were talking and sometimes sometimes you have to pray for the desire to have the desire right god give me the desire to desire you it all starts with him so if you're here and you're saying you know what my my spiritual life is flat then your prayer should be god give me the desire to desire you give me the desire to have some passion give me the desire to get this flame relit relight it Resolve is a personal decision. It's a decision that I have to make. Now, once I say, I want this peace, then the next one is repair. And repair is an action. I got to do something. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm giving in to that propensity to sin I talked about and I'm living in my weakness and I say I want peace with God, I got to go back, I got to ask His forgiveness, and I got to stop doing what I'm doing. I got to figure out how to put the parameters around whatever is dragging me away. Accountability, whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you. It looks different for me, it looks different for you, but you got to make sure that you have those things in place in your life. Then, when the repair happens, finally, I can have the rest. And that's, we'll just call that an emotion. That's that inner, that inner peace. So I say, God, I want to have peace with you. I'm doing what I need. I'm going to do it by, by your grace ability. I'll do what I need to do to repair the situation that's caused my conflict. Then I can get the rest. Now, you know what? You can count on this. You'll always do something. Well, let me say it this way. I will always do something to screw that up. I will always do something to mess that up. 
So what do I have to do? I got to go back again. I got to continue to pursue peace. I got to go back and I got to say, Lord, I blew it again. I don't want to do that. I'm making a decision to follow you. I got to go repair some things. And I, I need that rest. I need that peace that you give. Now, just as we need to do that with God, so we need to do it with others, right? If we're doing that horizontally, we also have to do it. Sorry. You guys are looking at me a little strange. Now I know why. If we do it vertically, if we do it vertically, since it's, since it's happened vertically, we also have to do it horizontally because we're in community together. So, if we're really going to pursue peace, we have to say, I've got to make a decision. Am I really willing to go tell that person I'm sorry? Am I really willing to do the hard work of making the repair? You know why a lot of people don't have peace? It's hard work. It's hard work. It means I have to say I'm sorry. That's the last thing some people will ever say. I'm sorry. I blew it. My fault. Not your fault. You didn't make me do it. All me. Resolve, repair, rest. First with God on that ongoing relationship and then with others. You willing to do that? Peacemakers are not passive. They are always pursuing peace. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue it. Work at it. Go after it. Flee the things that destroy it and go after it, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I know you're not supposed to say the word stupid, but it's right here in Scripture. Stupid arguments because they produce what? Quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Romans chapter 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. We have the opportunity to do that, don't we? In this thing that's going on in our country. To be a person who never backs down from the truth. Never. And by God's grace, is it possible to be a peacemaker along the way? Never backing down from the truth. Last one. Peacemakers are characterized by humility. There's no such thing as a proud peacemaker. At the end of the day, we are naturally inclined, I certainly am, to want to do things my way, in my time, and my terms. Aren't you? Am I the only one? <laughs> but that's where the upside-down life of the believer takes over. 
That's what we're always working on. That's where grace ability kicks in. See, peacemakers are not about their own preferences. We're going to do a series in community this fall, and we're going to see church is not about just my preference. We do things that encourage others. We do things that lead to peace and mutual edification. And the greatest example, the supreme example, is the supreme peacemaker, Jesus Christ. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Here's a passage that many of you will know well. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. This is often called the kenosis passage. The Greek word kenosis means emptying, or we'll read a passage here, Jesus made himself nothing, his humility. So if we're going to follow the peacemaker, here's what he shows us regarding humility. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Man, that's a tough one to start with, isn't it? See, I am not good at that. We've got to check our hearts all the time to say, is this selfish ambition or vain conceit? Am I, is that why I'm doing this? Because right here it says don't do that. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Not about me anymore. Each of you should look not only to your own interests. Certainly, you're going to have passions. You're going to have things you want. You're going to have things you go after. But not only those, but also the interests of others. Because we don't live on an island alone. Your attitude, your character, your inner being should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, that's a high calling, isn't it? And yet there it is. That's what God calls us to. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. There's the kenosis. Emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And Paul can't stop there. He became obedient to death, even if you can believe the shame of it, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the peacemaker. There's our example. That's what we strive after. And just as Paul says that when Jesus humbled himself, at the right time, God exalted him, so the same promise is for us. When we humble ourselves and do it God's way. By the way, really the definition of humility is obedience. Being obedient to God's word. Not doing it our way, but his way. When we become obedient, he will lift us up. First Peter says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
It's a good thing when he lifts you up. It's ugly when we put ourselves on the throne. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called children of God. At the end of your row, there is a basket of cards. If you would take those and pass those down as you're doing that, let me explain what I'd like to do. I never want us to come and just get more head knowledge. Some of you need another Bible study like you need a hole in the head. Another, sorry, another hole in the head. A lot of times we got all this head knowledge, but we never apply it. And so what we take, we don't want to be hearers, but we want to be doers. What we take, we want to apply. So on that card, I'm going to ask you to write something out. Kirk's going to come and sing for us in a second. I'm going to ask you to drop it at the cross, not as some magical formula, but as a commitment to say, here's what I'm committed to do. Three things. You may say, you know what? I just want peace with God. I'm tired of the battle. I, 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 I do not have peace with God. I have not come to the point in my life where I have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. I'm going to do that today. I'm, I'm tired of playing with it. I may have been coming to church for years, but I'm tired of playing this church game. I want a personal, intimate, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I want peace with God through Jesus Christ. And if that's your prayer, write it down. Today's the day. You may say, you know what? I'm a believer, but I am churning inside, and I long for peace. Some of you may say, I know exactly what the problem is. There's this sin in my life that I keep giving into. I'm living in it right now, blatantly, openly. Others may say, I'm not even sure what it is, but, but I long for that peace. And so, God, that's what I want. Help me have that peace. Show me if there's any repair I need. Show me if I need to go to another person. Do, I'll do whatever I need to do, but I long for the peace. Some of you may say, I am committing today. I, I, I know the deal. I know, I know what the issue is, and I'm committing today to pursue peace. I haven't spoken to my mom or dad in years. That ends today. I called them or I go see them. I have a sibling that uh, we had this argument years ago and we just parted ways. That ends today. I have an ex-spouse. Quite honestly, I've never gotten over the hurt. And uh, it's just, it causes anxiety all the time, fear, dread. It ends today. I'm going to go say, you know what? I can't redo everything that's gone on in the past. But I'm asking your forgiveness. I'm, I'm tired of it eating away at me. I'm asking your forgiveness because, you know what? Whatever, however it ended, I had skin in the game. It wasn't just your fault. I plead with you today, if you are separated, 
do everything you can to pursue peace between that wife who's still your wife and that husband who's still your husband. And even if you're divorced, but you've not remarried and that ex-spouse hasn't remarried, can you do it God's way? You say, you know what? No, 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 no. Can't do it. Too far gone. Really? I, I thought the God we serve is a God of transformation. I thought he did miracles. You think maybe he could do a miracle in a relationship? I believe he could. And you know what? It's happened three times this past year here at our church where someone was divorced and chose to get back together. I got proof right here that God can perform that miracle. So balls in your court. Jot it down. And as Kirk sings, take the time to reflect and then drop it off at the cross. Father, do your work among us. You're the God who works miracles. You are the mighty God. We have sung about you today. We have heard about you today. And now we want to experience your power in our lives today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.